from my heart and from my hand Why don't people understand my intentions? So I'm kind of excited to uh, talk about this science anthropology issue. You know, I think John, you forwarded me this uh, article a couple of days ago, maybe last week or something, from Psychology I did, I did. Psychology Today. And yeah. it was basically a psychologist reporting from her latest visit to the AAA American Anthropological Association, saying that one of the things that the executive committee they were considering was dropping the term science from. I don't know if mission statement is the appropriate word, but from... The, the long-term goal statement. Oh, long-term goal. Okay. She was really taken aback. And there's been a couple articles since then, both by her <laughs> and um, other people in the Chronicles of Higher Ed. And there's a couple articles in New York Times. And uh, So, so here, here's the actual statement. I, 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 can, I can read the, the snippet in question here. It's uh, the, the, the long-term plan. It was to advance anthropology as the science that studies humankind in all its, a- in all its aspects. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was, science was replaced with public, with advancing public understanding. So the purpose of the association shall be to advance public understanding of humankind in all its aspects. So just to, you know, for people who haven't read this, to, you know, to bring them up to date a little bit. That's kind of the, that's kind of the crux of the whole issue as far as I see it is the purpose of the association is for public understanding. There's no real problem with that. Apparently, in the long-range plan, it still refers to science, and that's right. relatively unchanged. Hmm. So I, who? I, it doesn't really seem like a bit – it's at best a semantic issue here. The AAA is, is the core disciplinary association, and so its statement about what it does says a lot about what the discipline imagines itself to be. And I think that's the problem is that – um, you know, these folks who are writing um, in these sort of up and arm statements are saying that they don't agree with what the discipline says itself to be. So it'd be like the ASA saying sociology is a right. science. Right. Yeah, I was just going to say, Eric is the anthropologist amongst us, so he would have the kind of insight. But I would say, to me, it's almost it's a statement saying that our organization is doesn't disagree with science, but that's not necessarily what we do and that we do actually multiple things and that there's multiple methods that we are incorporated with and that we don't define ourselves solely in terms of science. Would you say that's kind of the subtle statement that's being made there, Eric? Well, I think that's the case. And I think the problem is that, you know, one of the, I think, great things about anthropology, but obviously one of the the central problem here is that there's so many different things that take place under the name of anthropology, right? All the way from people who study, you know, um, religious, religious ritual and psychoanalysis to people who are taking apart um, brains and studying evolution. Um, and those people oftentimes do not talk to one another. They don't have the tools to talk to one another. You know, there are different tracks at the AAAs. They don't interact with each other at all. And so, to have one part of the discipline or you know, several sub, dis, subfields within the discipline that are absolutely committed to the sort of scientific method, to principles of scientific investigation, to the primacy of scientific forms of knowledge, and then another part of the discipline being absolutely committed to asking precisely questions about those claims to authority 
means that to try to say one thing about how the discipline imagines itself in relation to this giant category called science or as a science becomes really problematic. And I think that's what is happening. You know, because in my mind, there's, you know, like physical anthropologists or evolutionary anthropologists who seem to kind of follow the scientific process and, you know, setting up specific hypotheses and, and they go through a very systematic process of verifying claims and building theory. And then I feel like there's a kind of cultural sociologist where, you know, the methods of ethnography and, you know, qualitative interviewing is really the main methodology there. And it's not rooted in science. And like what you said, sometimes it even challenges the institution of science. Right. I got to jump in because this is, <laughs> this is driving me crazy. Uh, first, well, I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of things here, but like, give me, so is our example of anthropology that is not science ethnography and interviews like what what is an example of of anthropology that is not science well i think that this you know small controversy is drawing attention to the fact that what we mean when we say science is not understood across the board right if if we want to say that what what defines something as science is a systematic approach that's one thing if we want to say that it's based on you know is it is it totally positivist is this empiricism that we're calling science because if it's testable hypotheses, then yes, ethnography does not count, right? We cannot go back to the same place two times and reproduce the exact same data set if what we're doing is interviewing people. And that's part of what we understand to be both the strength and the setback of those modes of data collection, as opposed to, you know, can we measure the same object two times and come up with the same measurement, right? So I think precisely at issue is what do we say when we mean science, I mean, I guess, I guess I sort of, okay, so systematic collection of data, right? You mentioned that, you know, I mean, I guess I organize my music library in a systematic way. I wouldn't call it science, right? So it's, right. it's not just like being systematic about doing something, right. but it's, you know, trying to uncover some sort of knowledge or truth about what it is you're studying, right? Where, I guess I just don't, I, I guess I just don't get the, to me, I have, I guess maybe I just have a, a broad sort of understanding of science and don't really uh, quite understand what all the fuss is about when it comes to not calling anything, you know, any, any of these things science. I think people who like study psychology and, you know, the hard sciences will not allow themselves to not follow a rigid understanding of the kind of hypothesis testing. They present data that either supports or contradicts the hypothesis. And that's pretty much all they do. And it's kind of a very reductionist way of looking at social problems. And I don't think that it's necessarily saying that that's not a valid way of doing it, but I think it's more saying that's just not what we do, <laughs> you know. And I think it's not surprising to me that anthropologists don't claim to be doing that. It's surprising to me actually that science was a term that they were using in their central statement to describe who they were, because they don't follow that process, or not all of them. I mean, certainly some of them do. Um, so it almost feels like it's just being honest and saying, listen, we don't need to use the language of science to justify what we do and how we do it. We just have this different method. And I don't know. Why not, though? That's what I don't understand. Like, why is advanced public understanding any better? That's that's incredibly vague and totally meaningless as far as I can tell. Right. Science at least um, communicates that, you know, there's some sort of, uh, you know, I mean, okay, empirical basis to what you're doing. Like it, you know, what you're, you're trying to represent the real world and understand it in some sort of, I don't think science is the only thing that's 
the only empirical, I don't think empiricism is rooted necessarily in science. I think empirical just means that you actually went out and gathered data. To me, I think science reflects a very clear process of how you handle that data and what you can reduce from that data. But but everyone knows that like I mean like the scientific method I mean they they teach you this in high school now like there's the scientific method this formal way of doing it but you know in practice this is how science really works and it's and it's all even the hard sciences it's it's messy and it's basically a bunch of people struggling to to understand whatever it is they're studying as well as they can and communicate it with one another as clearly as they can um, so that you can collectively get a better understanding of it right. Of the, you know, yeah, I, but like Irvin Goffman, for instance, he is not a scientist. He wasn't a scientist. He he provided insights into what people did, and he actually went and did empirical work, and he reported. How, how is, how is he not a science? How is that not social science? Then? That's not a science. In my mind, he he didn't really test out hypotheses. Well, he, he just uh, went out and observed, and I think it's fine. I actually love Goffman. I'm just using. You, that you don't think he tested hypotheses at all? I mean, like no. in a formal, like okay. Here, here are my formal hypotheses. Now I'm going to go out completely free of bias and test these. You don't think he had yeah. questions that he asked? He asked to questions. answer one way or the other, and, he had and, and questions, but he assumptions didn't. about how things might work, and then finding that they don't work that way. Goffman is great, but he's not doing hypothesis testing. I'm sure there's some social psychologists who take Goffman and do some controlled experiments, you know, random controlled trials, or they change something in the environment to see some Goffman-esque kind of thing but people who do Goffman for the sake of Goffman don't worry about those those violations that he did of science and it's it's whether or not we think Goffman is valuable regardless and I think it's just you know Howard Becker actually once talked about the difference between quantitative and qualitative uh, research in terms of how it accumulates one is like a, a set of bricks where findings build upon one after the other um, but qualitative work, it builds off each other, but it doesn't build off each other in very clear ways necessarily in that it's more of like, I think you said like a montage or a web of insights or something like that. And I don't understand how that's not <laughs> systematic, having a bunch of different people studying different aspects of the social world in different ways that collectively you can, you know, sort of take in to create a better, more rounded picture of the world. I don't understand what's not. I think there's a lot of gaps. And I think a, sure. a true scientist wouldn't move beyond. It's, it's a wall with a lot of holes in it. We don't have the strongest foundation. But <laughs> Just in a very basic sense. I mean, cultural anthropology and physical anthropology. Perfect example of these two completely different orientations toward how we think about and approach human behavior, human understanding. Physical anthropology reads a lot like you read a science article, right? Many of the, the entries are four pages long. They have an abstract, a methods, a data, an analysis, and a discussion. And they are, as you might pick up any biology article, right? And so looking at these two different products, you can see that the people who are involved in these issues, these projects, are coming at it from completely different orientations with different ideas of what count as outcomes. They are not oriented around the same values. They're not oriented around the same ideas of what counts as evidence. They're not oriented around the same ideas of what counts as method, what are good questions to ask, you know, like they take on their subjects in completely different ways. And I think that's really illustrative of the differences in dif the different stakes in the discipline, you know, and it matters to people how they come to know what they know. As much as we defend our, the, you know, the sanctity of the ethnographic method, so too do they defend the sanctity of the scientific method. 
And they are, in many cases, understood to be mutually exclusive. So I think, and I think it's fair to say that, for example, neurologists and psychologists, while they both might be studying the brain, go at it in completely different ways. And that those different ways are precisely why we have things called disciplines, right? Different modes of asking questions, modes of investigating the answers, and different products once you have come to the end of your investigation. And I don't think that the differences between those are negligent. I think those are what constitute disciplines as such. to Eric, I think anthropology takes the discussion of science versus non-science far more seriously than any other social science does. Because you have that sort of fundamental split between the, the physical, structural people and the cultural people. I don't know if you would agree with that. Uh, no, I think that's true. And I think, you know, um, our discipline over the last 25, 30 years has had an incredible anxiety about what it is. And it, I, yeah, I think that's part of anthropology in, in the past couple of generations. That's that's yeah. what I was going to ask. Is, inward looking of the social sciences. Yeah. When I when I read this statement, the part that seemed crazy to me was not trading science for advancing public understanding, but the fact that claiming that you study humankind in all its aspects. Yeah. Like really? <laughs> I mean, that's um, that's what the discipline was founded on, right? And it. Up until, you know, 50 years ago, it was completely an ethnological enterprise, in, especially in the United States, right? It was about cataloging different kinds of people, figuring out where those people came from, who was human, how could we rank them in relation to each other, right, on the great scale to whiteness. Like, that's the, his, the history of the discipline. And since that has gone away and new modes of thinking about difference, thinking about um, sort of the reflexivity of the discipline that is really inherent to it, um, and then a, a crisis of representation in the mid-80s about where do we, from whence do we draw the authority to speak about other people, right? And ever since that moment, there's been this sort of internal anxiety. Well, if we're not talking about, you know, the great unconquered peoples of the world anymore, if we're not, if this isn't part of the colonial project, and in fact, we're going to agitate from within so that it's not part of the colonial project anymore. If we're spending just as much time in the United States studying people in hospitals as we are, you know, in New Guinea, then what do we say about ourselves, right? Meanwhile, so this conversation is happening within cultural anthropology and social anthropology, but it's not happening so much within physical and biological anthropology. It's not happening as much, although it certainly does within archaeology at the same time. And so, you know, like I said at the beginning, the discipline is huge in its variety of what people do. Um, and so there absolutely is this sort of question about around relevance. And that, I mean, that's what I was asking before, and I guess most, most pointedly to John, about why defend the presence of science? Like, yeah. why, do, why would one need to keep it or want to? But I still think, oh, and sorry to cut in because I think you were kind of oh, go. looking for John to respond there. You will, you will say it better than me, I'm sure. <laughs> if I'm saying the same thing. Whatever you're going to say. But well, it's st the whole debate still seems to me to be semantic and only semantic. That is to say, we, we haven't necessarily in this discussion 
decided what science means. And I don't know if we necessarily want to get into that discussion. You see, no. I mean, that's... But there's a semantic discussion about what science means and the symbolic nature of the word and what that says about the field. And then there's the substantial claims about how one goes about, to use Eric's language, I think, you know, making truth claims and going about gathering evidence and so on and so forth. That's where the real interesting discussion for me is. What you call it is less relevant because there's been a sustained attack on not on science. I mean, there has been a sustained attack on science. I'm sure we're all familiar with that. But there's been a sustained attack, at least among the humanities and social sciences and, and some of the other kinds of science out there, about the the restrictions that the term science has carried with it for a while now. And maybe we need to expand what that means. Yeah, I was going to say for me, and I think it comes from my undergraduate in psychology where it was really kind of pressed upon us that there's only one way of doing social science and that's through the experimental method. And I remember taking these methods courses where we talked about ethnography and participant observation, but in the context as something you do before doing a study and right. then you can get insights into something, but you need to then actually test it out and it needs to be something that you can replicate and you can, it's, it's, you know, there's a whole process of you operationalizing the variables you're going to measure, the reliability and validity of those measurements, and then falsification, testing the falsification hypothesis. And then that's science. And I feel like one of the things I got in graduate school was an understanding that, you know what, people who do participant observation, I don't see that necessarily as a precursor to real, real research. Like I think one can actually just do that type of research. Now, of course – one needs to be careful with the types of claims they're going to make. But there's certain way – you can't reduce everything to a scientific experiment. Um, and I think a lot of the interesting things that happen in the social world don't happen in something that you can reduce down to a lab. You can find some interesting insights. But I think the world – and this may sound cheesy is, – is complex enough that there can be multiple ways of doing research. And I, I think being an anthropologist sounds like it's – difficult because you are working with so many different modes of research but i don't know as somebody who kind of sees themselves a little bit in the positive side i, I think it's valid and i i don't know like i when i tell people about this this uh, article like last night i was talking to some people about this and they just get really angry about they can't believe that there's a social science out there who doesn't want to follow the scientific method <laughs> that we're going backwards and don't they, you know, don't they understand things like gravity and that planes fly and that science, <laughs> like all these, like, they, they don't, they don't fly. Yeah. So this guy was asking me last night to, to apologists will tell you that they do not fly. <laughs> yeah. This guy last night was asking me to like define gravity to him, you know, and how could one define gravity without using scientific terms? And, um, why do we need to go and, and, and go to some pre-scientific community and study those people? What kind of insights can we get? And, I just kept thinking like, you know, certain things science is good for when you have really concrete things you're trying to measure and understand or trying to complicate. But we in ourselves create the very things that we're studying. So there's this. There yeah, it's a be, double hermeneutic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anthony Giddens kind of <laughs> notion. I'm that, a new dick. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, it's ironic that you're you're saying that coming from a psychology background because psychology is – of the social sciences, the one that aligns itself with that traditionalist definition of science the most and really enforces it in their pedagogy and curriculum. 
But upon closer examination, and this is a everyone knows what I'm going to say, it might be unfair, is the worst at doing it. Because while they do everything formally, that's not a scientific statement, by the way. (laughs) The methodological problems are well known in the way they go about collecting their data, but the way they collect their data hasn't seemed to change all that much. The kind of problems that people have been pegging on them, including within psychology, are still commonplace in the discipline. Psychology, the study of the college freshman mind. (laughs) Precisely. (laughs) Someone has to do it. <laughs> uh, well, I, and that's I, not across the board. And there's diversity with like psychology, but you know. But you know, they really do see themselves as like you know, for too long of a period of time, we got mixed in with Freud, and he was really non-scientific, and we they really bastardized Freud in psychology courses. Like that's something that we used to do before we discovered how important science is, and now they really cling on to the scientific process. Sure, and. I think you're right. Their studies lack validity, but in their minds, it's better that they follow this method than improve their measurements or their scope of things to do because they like to have it's, the same variables across. It's reliable but not valid. Exactly. Is, they love- Can I say something? I think the interesting thing about this, and, and I don't know, Chris, you bringing up that Arturo was a psychology has a psychology background made me think that maybe there's something to this, is that this is all about, like, Arturo, I was right along with you with everything you were saying, except when you would say the word science or scientific, right? I think within different fields, you define science differently. And I'm much more amenable, and I think sociology is generally, at least today, to a broader definition of science that incorporates all these different ways of studying and understanding and, and knowing the world to get at the full sort of complex picture of how things fit together. And that to me, like there's great value and power in calling that science and, and expanding the definition of science to mean that more than this sort of stereotype of this very constricting, you know, scientific method that even in the ideal doesn't really work out that way all that well, much. I think you know? there, I, but I think there's room there's things that the scientific method, even in a social context, is very good. Like, you know, people who are very clinical and how they study, you know, medical procedures. You know, is it safer for a physician to wash their hands before seeing a patient as opposed to not? You know, yeah, I mean, there's an experiment. Uh, there's an experimental method. Like, yeah. It's not necessarily the science, the scientific method, though. See, in you my know? mind, that that is. I mean, I think that is the. That's because you were brainwashed by psychologists, <laughs> and you're now. That's the problem. Well, but the. I mean, I, to me, that begs the, the question: If it's not a method that constitutes science, what is it? Because I I don't think that we can say any search for understanding the world counts as science. Yeah. yeah. And further, when you say there's a lot of power in naming something a science, I guess what I'm really interested in is understanding that. Like, what is the stakes for which someone would want to fight to be called a scientist, right, or defend their work as scientific? Because part of the issue, on the other hand, is that by every time we say we should expand science so that it's bigger, so that more people can fit under the the sort of legitimizing umbrella of its name, means that all the kinds of questions that that can't be claimed to be scientific are not as valuable as the ones that can be, right? So when we're in trying to argue to make the category bigger, then my question is, what is the, why do we want to be inside that circle? Defining science. See, this is, you know, I was thinking back to that discussion we had about culture that we completely cut out of that podcast when we got into defining culture. I'm afraid defining science will go the same route. But, okay, so not but, even define Which is ironic because it, it shouldn't. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Not even trying to define it. Why do you want to be it? Just, I mean, I think that... 
there's a a sort of ethic of um, producing evidence for the claims that you're making sure. and uh, the idea that you have to justify what you're saying and what you are asserting to be true and that others can challenge that and you have to be transparent about that. And if, you know, your, your method of gathering that data or, you know, let's not be, okay, we won't call it data, that information proves to be flawed, then, you know, you, you can change your mind about the conclusions you draw from. I mean, there's like an ethic of science and sort of a meta method more than a specific the scientific method that is you must first make hypotheses and you must first go and test these hypotheses and falsify. Right, but I mean, for, you know, for my dissertation, for example, yeah. how can I prove that what I said was correct if you just don't believe me? Because you can't go back and re-interview my subjects. You can't go back and get access to the people I had access to. You can't do any of that stuff. And I am ethically bound not to give up my notes. So... Yeah. I mean, where does the proof making come from? If it's about proof making, it just all has to fall on believing me, where biologists don't have to be believed. Right? Well, yes, they can, do. Yes, they do. Right. But they have to be believed based on data that they can reproduce. And Not part of their credit making production, I mean, this is like, no. this goes back to Latour. Part of the credit making production comes from peer um, recognition, right? You gain peer recognition over time for certain types of products. You gain peer recognition over time, right? And you purchase all kinds of different credit with that, right? But I can't, I can't do that same kind of thing. I, 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 don't, I don't think that's in principle true. I mean, yes, it's true that no one can ever go and do the exact same interviews with the exact same people in the exact same place at the exact same time as you. And this is also a problem in any hard, any hard science too. Like no one can ever completely replicate the exact same study in the exact same place in the exact same time. We just have a much larger window of um, <laughs> our inability to do that than other, plus, other kinds of fields do, I think. Plus, we, I think not just sociology but the social sciences in general must be allowed some sort of <laughs> you know, get-out-of-jail-free card on the fact that the, the nature of our, our, you know, what we study is – much more difficult than what a biologist or a physicist might be working with. In what way? That to, to get to the same kind of specificity that they can get to is, for all intents and purposes, impossible for most social scientists. You know, I can look at a cell and there's nothing the cell can do about it. But if I look at a group of people, they can change the way they act. Or if I interview someone and ask them a question, the next day, unbeknownst to me, they can change their mind. There's no way to get around that. So the, the, I mean, the basis here is simply the rigor of, of, you know, you, <laughs> yeah, it's basically you do the best you can given the conditions and circumstances you're in. And that's pretty much it. There's, I mean, there's and, no and, getting past that. And like to answer your question, Eric, like, I, I don't even know what your dissertation is about. Right. But I can assume that I can read your description of what you did and I can read your account of what you found. And I can, you know, if I know anything at all about the field that you're, you're doing your dissertation in, I can imagine that, well, there are certain, like, known, you know, gotchas that people need to be aware of. Like, did he account for this? Did he account for this problem? You know, there's uh, certain ways that you go about selecting who you talk to and the questions you ask them and how you talk to them. And, yeah, I can say you did a better or worse job than you could have. It's not merely a matter of, you know, status or, well, I, I trust him, so I must believe what he tells me. I mean, if you're doing your job, there is some sort of transparency to this is what I've 
what I'm saying and how I went about doing it. It's not, you know, replicable in the sense that I could like follow behind in your footsteps and call up every person you talk to. Right. But I guess what I'm trying to point out is this is what constitutes what science thinks itself to be. Right. Certain kinds of methodological principles, certain kind of reproducibility, the idea that someone in Taiwan can be working on the same project as someone in Sao Paulo and they can communicate Right? They can be doing the exact same things together because there are ways, understood ways of communicating and ways of you know, um, thinking through and relating to similar problems. There are these kinds of commonalities that organize it. And I'm not saying those are good and I'm not saying they're bad. What I'm trying to say is when we're arguing to be included in that group, what is it that we're arguing for? And if, See, the, if, the, if the answer is some sort of legitimacy, then that is at heart – one thing that cultural anthropologists have been trying to fight against for years. I, what you're saying is true. I mean, the reproducibility aspect and, and related aspects are things that the social sciences is never going to be the same on as, as the physical sciences or mathematics or anything like that. Um, and that's fine. And, and some people can be offended by that. But I think, I mean, I think a lot of people have kind of moved past that distinction that, you know, we, we can't reproduce our stuff. But there are other ways in which we can agree that we've proven a claim or given enough evidence that you should probably believe what we're saying. Mm-hmm. See, I, I think one of the things that is like kind of paradoxical to me is that I think in one so way... It was really inarticulate. <laughs> Sorry, Arthur, go ahead. Oh, what you said or what I said? What I said is really inarticulate, yes. I was like, what a prick, man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yours is going to be inarticulate. But... You haven't even heard what is paradoxical yet, but you know I'm not using the term correctly. <laughs> <laughs> is um, In certain ways, and I've kind of heard this in kind of like science studies, is this idea that science is a little bit more democratic in terms of how scholarship is collected because there is this belief that regardless of who you are and where you belong at the institution, if you have good data – and you did something very rigorously, and again, this is my bias in my conflation of science with the experimental method, but if you are able to show something, that thing will likely get published, and science will move towards that direction regardless of who you are. And then there's this feeling that if you don't follow the scientific method, then it's really about prestige and the legitimization that who who was your advisor and who what group do you work with and what claims are you situating yourself against or, or, or supporting. And in that vision, science is the kind of beacon towards a more fair research world. And there's something very, uh, I don't know, persuasive about that argument. At the same time, though, science sometimes loses re- reflexivity, you know, like the ability for people to kind of question the very things that they're studying and what constitutes those concepts. Um, How? Sorry, I just don't understand that. That what? that is a critique of science because that's what science is: is no, the reflexively sci- critiquing no. your understanding of what you're studying and no, whether or not you're really getting at it. Science, absolutely not. No, science is about I think contesting like how something was measured and looking at you know p values or however you want to critique rationally a study, but questioning how something was constructed in terms of. What is your understanding of racism or what is your understanding of what you should be studying? I think those are reflexive things that the scientific process really can't illuminate. And in fact, it kind of obscures it. And that's where 
this other type of mode of thinking, mode of understanding is really helpful and useful. And I think one could take a little bit from each different direction, but I think you can't pretend that those are two parallel processes uh, that just kind of, you can just hop one and then hop into the other one. And when I see like mixed method projects, for instance, I rarely see that like, wow, this person really was a positivist for half the article and then they really went to this kind of symbolic constructionist perspective. I just see really one or the other. Um, and when I hear the term mixed method, it's like, well, I use these multiple ways of regressing a variable or I use these multiple ways of being an ethnographer. But combining... It's like, it's like bipartisan. <laughs> yeah. The Republicans always get their way is really what that means, right? <laughs> exactly. The quants always get their way. But, but, but my point is, is that I think the, the reflexiveness of some researchers is really kind of like an innovation of like, that's not something that I think organically came out of science or the scientific process. I mean, that came out from a different mode of thinking or thinking about the social problems. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, if you look at the, the science wars, right, from the 80s, when science all of a sudden became an object of criticism instead of just a, a factory of truth production, there was such this huge backlash, right, and the same kinds of things. Tell me how gravity works then if you don't believe in science, <laughs> right? And that's precisely not what's at issue. It's that science is just as interested as any other form of knowledge production, right? It's, we shouldn't pretend that the world is out there that exists and it's just gradually waiting to be discovered by people in white coats and genius minds. That's, I think, what the last 25 years of science studies has helped us to see. And so to, you know, to take this woman, Alice Drager, who's actually a really interesting person to have written this article in Psychology Today, you know, we need facts more now than ever. Why, can, why should we stop doing science as though it's this disinterested production of facts so you know? can i can i ask another question i i know i don't know who this person is that wrote this particular article it's just for whatever reason she's the one that got linked around a bunch with it was this a case of like her blog post making this a big deal or was this actually a really big deal and she just sort of happened to write the blog post that people started linking to do you do you know i hadn't heard anything about it but now it's been um you know there's like arturo said there's an article in new york times and you know stuff like that yeah See, because that's what I'm wondering, like, is this, you know, like there's Chris's, Chris's sort of defense of like how the, the, the AAA could have done this for sort of reasonable, not crazy reasons. And then you have to wonder, like, is the back, is this sort of outrage over it now more just a, uh, you know, consequence of this like larger divide in anthropology and someone making a big stink out of this and making it into more than it was or, you know. Well, I mean, I think that may be the case, but. Try, trying to get back to this thing I keep trying to push us toward, which is why does this matter so much? I mean, if um, the stakes for this are really high, actually, and partly because ca- by calling yourself a science, you enter into this kind of le- mode of legitimacy, what, and we can contest whether that is itself legitimate or not, but it is the case, right, where all of a sudden research dollars are available to you. You can ally yourself to different institutions. You can do all of these things, right? Anthropologists apply for money that philosophers don't, for example. And it's not because the content of our work is substantively different in many cases. It's because it's different. It's a different way of conceiving that certain <laughs> type of knowledge production and product. And so it matters. Like these kinds of things matter a lot. They do and they don't. Because, yeah, the, the way it's institutionally set up, the resources available, the alliances made, all of that stuff certainly does matter. The status games that academics plays, whether it likes to or not, 
matters, the cultural context that we find ourselves within these days of the the sort of attack on science, you know, brought into bold relief by by creative design. There are high stakes there. But to people within the academy, it really doesn't matter that much. See, I think these are really the important Alex questions. Has this whole piece about anthropology getting rid of science. And you know, I, I read it very quickly only today, but like I can't see any truth to what she's saying here. She's she's made a big deal out of nothing because the AAA saying that they're scientific or not saying that they're scientific is not going to make a difference for any anthropologist doing work. Yeah, I think right? it will, though. I think a lot of anthropologists get funding from the NSF, for instance, the National Science Foundation. NSF doesn't care what the AAA says. Oh, yeah. The NSF reviews the proposal that the individual person or collection of scholars gives. I know, but when I – I mean I've helped, for instance, like anthropologists apply for the NSF and we have these discussions about how to apply for that particular foundation in talking about testable hypotheses and – and it's and I found it interesting that like this isn't just the way that they that an anthropologist is trained to think, but to get money they have to frame themselves in this particular way. To me, this whole story was shocking because I didn't know anthropologists were still using the term science to define as a, an essential quality of what it means to be an anthropologist. So I thought that was interesting. And then for the association to make this statement publicly. It might make it more difficult for anthropologists to get money from that particular source because people might go, hey, NSF, you're not only funding some weird studies you know, that we don't see any practical uh, relevance to, which is something the NSF gets attacked to all the time, but you're also funding people who claim that they're not doing science. And I think there's been some backpedaling from the AAA, you know, like – well, you know, the, this is a discussion that we've been having for a long time, and our other statements, we still have science, you know, for people who want to claim that. But, you know, we just changed the terms. So I think they're trying to make light of it, but I think it's actually – it is important, and we'll have some ramifications. Uh, I disagree. They're going to kick bones out of the Smithsonian. <laughs> She's not <laughs> a real like, scientist that's anymore. That's the other thing. To, to most people who never took an anthropology course and don't pay attention to – the navel gazing debates of academics anthropology's public face is probably that show and shows like that oh i was at the barbershop today and i he asked me what i did and i told him and he said oh what are you going to be indiana jones <laughs> precisely yeah well it's a whole lot better than the public image of sociologists i'll tell you that much <laughs> yeah which what action which figure do we have <laughs> not only not it's negative existent not non-existent but negative existent um i mean to me the most important part of all of this is that you know, when I teach classes, intro classes, whatever courses I teach, because I teach in cultural anthropology, one of the fundamental principles of cultural anthropology is epistemic agnosticism, right? right. I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, claiming, I'm not claiming that there's one way of knowing or engaging in the world that's better than another. Right. So to claim that, to make that fundamental definitive claim and then say, but I'm doing it in science because science is the best way of knowing is very problematic. I, I don't even see why you have to say that though. Say what? Why, why, do, why does, just by, why does saying that you do science mean that science is the best way of knowing? Because if, because I'm choosing a way that has a defined way that is this power structure, power source in the world. Right. And I'm saying this is the best way to know the world. Why? But, well, I don't understand that. 
Why? I mean, why does why does saying that what I what we do is science mean that any other way of doing or knowing uh, is somehow always inferior, and that science is clearly the best way because it's what I'm doing? Why? Why is that? Because any particular mode of understanding that privileges certain kinds of information and degrades others is going to produce a different kind of product, right? So if yeah. I say that I'm approaching something with an openness, right, an epistemic openness to seeing the way it thinks about itself, but the way I'm going to then interpret it is through this particular method that is competing with that method, right? Yeah. It's going to produce a certain kind of analysis. So if I yeah. say that the only way for my discipline to be legitimate is by naming it this certain kind of epistemic framework, right, that has a certain understanding of what constitutes uh, facts or knowledge, what constitutes ways of producing valid knowledge, what constitutes ways of legitimizing knowledge, then that is going to determine the way that I understand and relate to all the other different epistemic modes that I come in contact with. And I actually think that that's not something that all disciplines can take up that kind of agnostic position because I, I think like often science is about challenging dogmatic beliefs about how certain things work and again my psychology background I always feel like I remember these classes where people were, were talking about you know there was a time when people thought that schizophrenia was caused by a bad mother or people gave religious reasons why people were mentally ill or when there was a bad harvest they would you know sacrifice some virgin to you know make you know the harvest better the next year and all these kind of stupid silly beliefs that until science came around human behavior is dom dominated by these dogmatic belief system and it was only through the scientific method that we were able to kind of clear away all these messy issues and i think yeah i mean it makes kind of sense to me a scientific medicine a body of knowledge about medicine and that doctors will will practice now there's some limitations to that type of knowledge production, but I understand why certain disciplines privilege only testable, randomly controlled trial knowledge production. And that's why I find like people who are like Paul Farmer, who are both anthropologists and doctors, kind of interesting, you know, because it's two different types of um, modes of thinking that that person must engage in. You know, <laughs> you know, they clearly believe in the scientific process because they privilege certain findings that they get from their, you know, Journal of American uh, Medical Association, you know, and finding out that there's the best practice for dealing with HIV patients or whatever else. But he also does anthropological work in Haiti. And his work seems to be more of the cultural anthropology side than a more kind of physical scientific perspective. Right. So do we agree that Eric and I won this uh, debate then? <laughs> No, I I firmly take the side that there wasn't I don't, actually a debate. I don't see why we have to agree that there are. There's one way of deciding this bait. This debate. Um, there are multiple ways of knowing and interpreting this bait. The debate. There and, we go. Uh, there we go. And I would like to think that I uh, I have mine and you have yours. Um, I think it's an important debate. I just don't think it's a minor thing, though. I think it's a big. I'm not saying the debate is minor. I'm saying what the AAA did is minor. I just don't think so. It's like if you if ASA took out science from what sociology was. It would not make a difference to how anyone went about getting money or setting up their research. I fundamentally disagree with that. I mean, all everything any of us do to try to get funding is all located around that. And what Arturo said is absolutely right. That's fine, but whether the ASA says it or not doesn't matter. So, so here's an example drawing the line between at what point is it science and should be defended as such, and at what point is it you know, 
Well, I feel historical my, fiction or theology. Are those the only two choices? I, I, that, that's I get, I'm coming. I'm stuck on this thing. Why is be, that? It is science good, and that what else? The other, only other thing it could be is historical fiction. That it is science is irrelevant. That it is rigorous and and you know all those enlightenment terms I can throw at it. That's what makes a difference. But that it is science. It's just a word. It's not just a word. <laughs> it's totally just a word. I understand that it is a sign in, in a string of signs, but th- that word and what it has come to stand for organizes a huge amount of yes the world around us, the resources, what counts as good, what counts as bad, how decisions are made, policies are made. Yes. It's not just a word. Exactly. And in 20 years, it still Wonderful. will be a word that is, is of great importance for how the world is structured and how resources get allocated and all of that stuff. Right. Um, but the point is, we're defining the word to, to, to serve some sort of purpose to help us do what we do. And but why does that and, help us? Right? Because we if, want if there, the, umbrella. The, fact that, the fact that there's a dominant sort of stereotypical view of science that is unnecessarily constricting and limiting and doesn't necessarily uh, serve the advancement of understanding uh, humanity in all its aspects very well, that's a reason to fight against that definition of science and contest that definition of science. To just throw up your hands and say, well, there's, there's other ways of doing it. We don't have to call it science. That's fine, but you lose the ability of engaging with that larger body of stuff that is called science. And, uh, I, you know, and I just, I think it's, I think it's wrong. I think those definitions of science are sort of missing the point. They're focusing on the formality and the sort of trappings of science without the sort of core underlying idea of science, which is something that's been, you know, people have been working on for a long time. And there is a common theme between someone who's trying to, you know, understand how, some phenomenon works through in-depth interviews with a small number of people and sort of careful observation and and collect collection of information over the course of years and someone who uh you know does a survey and plugs the numbers into a statistical package and outputs some some cool charts like there's a connection there in what they're doing there's a commonality and that commonality well we should figure out what that is and calling it science is probably as good of a label as any science is a is a is a great term of convenience and it's very important to differentiating what we do to what crackpots do and why we should be taken seriously and they shouldn't. My first couple of years of grad school were spent, you know, in every class I could d- destroying the notion of science. But then I started teaching and realized that I had to use it as a term of convenience to force people to build good arguments <laughs> because there was no other term that could convey that as easily as science could. But see, I think that speaks to the legitimization thing. It's like you're using the label of science to say what we did is legitimate. And I think there needs to be just a discussion about... Using it to label good arguments and well, yeah, good what, representations of the world. Not right, just... It's a really lovely way to, to uh, label good arguments. Rhetoric. How we, how we build an argument, right? Ethos, pathos, logos. Can't we go back to those? Those worked really well for a long time. But why, why are those discounted, right? Rhetoric is now a dirty word and science is the good one. Well, you know. Well, because philosophy as a discipline has suffered quite a bit. And as a result of what would you imagine? Um, oh, <laughs> there's a lot of problems with philosophy to go into. Um, the argument you're looking for is that it's been replaced by science and that's not really – well, that's to a certain extent the case. I'm not arguing that's completely it, but I think there's uh, something to talk about there. No, it definitely is. But 
you know, that's not to say that, I mean, if you look at what calls itself science, it justifies itself on those rhetorical terms just as much. Not across the board, but it certainly happens. Um, yes, science has its own arguments. I, what, what we were talking about before is you have to call something science in order to make people make an argument. And You don't have to. It's just easier to. Okay. So, yeah. We're getting back to the core. I mean, I'm still stuck. I mean, we're getting back to the core thing was none of us have defined science. I, I, again, I'm not as interested in defining it as, as trying to but talk the stakes of being called it. The debate can't progress if we don't define it because then we just kind of get into what you and I have been doing for like 20 minutes now, which is basically agreeing but disagreeing with the way that we got there because well, we can shape the term science in whatever way we want to make sense for our argument. No, so I, unless I think counts without science. defining it, we can say why does it matter so much to be called this thing? Right? We can call it something else, blue, right? Why do I want to be blue so bad? What, what, what do I lose if I'm not? What do I gain if I am? Why does it help me explain things to students if I use that, that word? Why does it get people's attention? Why does it fund my projects? Right? So haven't we done that already? Science is a term of convenience to denote a legitimate and powerful process of truth legitimization. Science has stakes in fundraising. But see, I think in my mind we shouldn't expand science. I think we should just ex accept what the scientific method is, what it's good for, fun for it, absolutely, but also acknowledge that other people who are also doing research aren't doing science. I think that's – and that, that should be legitimate in of itself because I think what we have instead is this like narrative of like there is dogma and um, irrationalities in the world and then there's scientists and scientists have this mysterious process about how they find the answers of what we should do versus what we shouldn't do. And I think, you know, sometimes it does have precision, but in a very testable con context. And that's not a context, especially in the social world, where we often find ourselves. Um, and I think it's just about acknowledging that there's different ways of knowing. You know, like Eric was saying about there's different disciplinary perspectives. And I think... I mean, that's, that's the truth. I mean, like we say we're sociologists, we study the social world and anthropologists study humans <laughs> and, you know, psychologists study individuals. And I think it's not about saying that one is wrong and one is misguided, but I think you do see different answers and different insights depending on the unit of analysis that you're looking at, but just the different methodologies. And I think having an honest discussion about what the differences are um, is, is valuable because then you kind of see the limits of your methods and perspectives. But if you just say we're all doing science, I think that kind of just obscures everything. Um, and kind did, of wait, hold on. Did that did, did that break up for anyone else? It yeah, did. I'm awesome. Oh, yeah.